Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna, like that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. This is the Run Line, VSIN's premier baseball betting show. With Adam Burke, here's Ben Wilson. Thanks, Brent Musburger. We're back here on the Run Line, hour number two of the show. We bring it to you every Sunday night, 8 to 10 Eastern, alongside Adam Burke, who you can follow at Skating Tripods, our VSIN MLB daily writer. You can catch his work at VSIN.com. I'm Ben Wilson. Jason Conner, outstanding job as always, is our producer. Behind the glass, still to come this hour, we've got Real or Fake. We'll talk in a few minutes here some of the top trade deadline candidates who will potentially be on the move within the next seven, eight, nine days here. Trade deadline coming up there on August the 2nd. We'll also preview the full MLB Monday card and a bunch of big pitching matchups on the card for tomorrow. Right now, though, Adam, let's update Sunday Night Baseball. There's not been much to report on. It's still a nothing-nothing game. All first five unders are a cash for you there as it's zip-zip, but... You've noticed something pretty peculiar there on Carlos Carrasco, the starting pitcher tonight for the Mets. Even though he's not giving up any runs, he's scattered six hits, and there appear to be some uh, somewhat concerning signs as well on the deep dive data that you've been looking at. Yeah, only one strikeout through five innings for Carrasco tonight, so the the stuff not particularly lively, and, and that's always a concern for me coming off of an extended layoff. Now, Maybe he was just a little bit rusty. Maybe he just didn't really have it mechanically today, and, and that's a possibility. These are things that you want to file away because you know I try to look for a lot of these injury indicators, and Carrasco, who we know had the back issue earlier on in the year, fastball velocity down almost a full mile per hour, mm. the slider down two miles per hour from his season average here today. Spin rates look okay, but I do look at velocity and spin rate to sort of see where these guys are at from a health standpoint, where they're at mechanically. And uh, Carrasco able to work around those six hits tonight, but the stuff just didn't really seem to have a whole lot of life to it. It's interesting for a guy like Carrasco. This was his first start looking at Adam in 10 days, and it's so far been like 11, 11 consecutive shutout innings. Went into Wrigley Field, was able to scatter five hits in six innings there. Did strike out six, had much better a command in that game. Uh, but so far today, uh, only lasts the five innings before being pulled they, as the Mets have already gone to the bullpen. Uh, as it is a base hit here in the top of the sixth inning for San Diego. So it's just interesting how, as we talk about, the variance can go both ways. And I know you looked at Carlos Carrasco as a guy who you expected positive variance. I mean, here's a guy who sits with an ERA well over four on the season. But at the same time, some of the other numbers, the expected ERA under four, fielding independent pitching and XFIP each right around 350. But in a vacuum, though, it's pretty obvious where what you're saying that you can still find ways to get lucky even if the numbers kind of suggest something else and you've been unlucky because that's certainly been the case there tonight. Not The point being, it's not exactly echoed or totally mirrored what we would have expected coming out of the second half here for Carrasco. 
Yeah, and I mean, look, you know, maybe it's just something mild. Maybe it's just kind of a reporting issue. Maybe something's wrong with the gun. You never know. I always look back the next day uh, and see mm-hmm. how, you know, yeah. baseball savant and the StatCast data has been updated. But with that being said, I mean, you know, Max Scherzer's looked great coming back. Jacob deGrom made that rehab start a couple days ago. Chris Bassett's looked really good. I mean, this is the one area of the team where the Mets can withstand some sort of injury, obviously, as we've seen. I mean, they've been without Tyler McGill for a while, too. But it is just something to kind of file away, something that I look at. I'll wait and see how Carrasco looks in his next start. I guess basically in a long-winded way, what I'm saying is if I see a velocity drop or a spin rate drop, I'm not betting on that guy in his next start. I'll wait and see if it was just an anomaly or if it was maybe the start of a growing trend. Good point you make. I'm seeing, as far as the actual in-game line right now, again, Mets have gone to the bullpen here, minus $1.30 live, Padres minus 105, three and a half with heavy juice to the under right now, seeing about minus 150. Drew Smith, they have brought in. He gives up a one-out base hit, but does then get a fly a fly ball out. So pretty good uh, situation, or at least position right now for Drew Smith. As far as where the Mets will go this week and where we might see Carrasco next, it would probably be, because they have both Monday and Thursday off, just have that uh, that Subway series against the Yankees in at City Field Tuesday, Wednesday. Probably going to see him this weekend in Miami. For those of you who, who are wondering, well, where does Carrasco start? Uh, that is your answer. Uh, Adam, as far as some of these other... Uh, again, yeah, go for it. Now, now that winds up being, you know, one start in the span of 15 or 16 days. So you right. wonder how sharp he'll be in his next outing. And again, that's very important to keep an eye on here coming out of the All-Star break. I, I talked about the White Sox, right? They're off Monday and Thursday. So they're going to have guys that have made one start in the last 14, 15, 16 days. You know, when you're a creature of habit like these guys are and they love their routines, it's definitely something that you want to factor into your handicapping process. Looks like Sunday would probably be the start as well for, for Castillo. So you're talking about you, you, talk, you go from a 10-day rest, as you mentioned, Adam, to another six-day rest essentially because of the off days there for the New York Mets. There are a couple, though, pitchers who have looked very, very good this year who have been pitching for teams much worse than the New York Mets who we kind of assume are going to be on the move. Wanted to go pitcher by pitcher, case by case, Adam, try to figure out which guys are you, A, high on, and B, which of these, te- which of these guys would you like to see in a particular situation as we come closer here to the trade deadline. First guy I'd, I'd look at is Luis Castillo, who did not start the year for Cincinnati, was coming off injury, got off to somewhat of a... That slow start worked him slowly back in from his rehab. Has made 13 starts, though, at this point, and it's like a 2.77 ERA, feeling independent, pitching of right around three in his 13 starts with the Reds, throwing 78 innings. All the reports we're getting is that he is going to be moved before August 2nd. I'd imagine he's a guy that you are, you are fairly high on, given how the velocity's been pretty consistent for him, coming off the injury at around 97 miles an hour, and the fact that he could certainly be a, a useful arm for a number of contenders here down the stretch. Yeah, I think the important thing, and I'm pulling this up right now, is that it's not just a rental for Luis Castillo. You've got him for next year as well. So that increases a couple of things. One, I think it should increase a team's willingness to trade for him. But two, it increases the Reds' willingness to trade him because this is not a team that's competing for the playoffs next year. Without question, they are building for three, four, five years down the line. And you can maximize your return when you can move a guy like that. For me, I think the best fit of of the contenders would be the Minnesota Twins. And I'm going to say that about Frankie Montas, too. So I'm just throwing that out there right now. But when you look at this Twins team, they don't get innings from anybody. They don't get any length from their starting pitchers. And part of that is by design because Rocco Baldelli is a big believer in the third time through the order penalty. But the other part of it is 
they just don't have guys that can work deep into games. I mean, this is Joe Ryan's rookie year. Chris Archer doesn't work deep into games anymore. You know, they're missing a workhorse type guy in Kenta Maeda. Getting a Luis Castillo who's got a high strikeout rate, a high ground ball rate, can work deep into games, that is obviously beneficial to their rotation, but especially beneficial to their bullpen, which is the greatest concern I have for them just because they've been overworked and overused all season long. I think Castillo's best fit would be with the Twins, and I also think that he will get moved here because the Reds will want to maximize on the value of that extra year of control. It's why I started with him, because if there is one of these pitchers we're going to talk about, he would seem the most likely, probably right up there as well with Frankie Montas, who we'll go to right now. We saw Montas, he was limited, came off of off the IL, only pitched three innings, was on a pitch count, but did look pretty sharp. I think it was, what, five strikeouts pretty much right out of the, out of the shoot there for Montas in that three-inning start earlier against the Tigers as part of that doubleheader last week. 18 starts for Montas this year. He's thrown about 100 innings, 316 on the ERA. The expected ERA, FIP, XFIP, all right in the vicinity of his true 316 number there on the earned run average. Around a league average, uh, two on the batting average on balls in play at 280. So guy who's been pretty true, at least with the numbers so far. Uh, where It's almost in a weird way, Adam. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't been moved yet because we saw how the A's moved Sean Manaya a week before the start of the season to San Diego, and it kind of just seemed like, well, Montas has to be the next domino to fall. Interesting that he hasn't gone yet, but I'm sure you would still believe that he's got to be on the move given everything that Oakland has, has made it clear about and the direction that franchise has been going. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he gets moved, certainly, and I think he's not the only A. I would assume Ramon Laureano gets dealt, and probably Sean Murphy, too. Um, I don't really know if they have anybody in the bullpen that's worth moving right now, but this is a team that's very much open for business in, in a lot of different ways. And Montas is another guy, as I look here, you know, he's arbitration eligible next year as well. So it's another situation, much like Luis Castillo, where you're not just getting two months, you're getting a year in two months. And that really means a lot. Now, Montas is coming back from injury only through three innings in his last start. So we'll have to see if he gets stretched out a little bit more in his next outing. But the Twins are a fit. You know, I, I mentioned that already as spoiler alert kind of thing. But yeah. the Twins... They, they need starting pitchers with talent that can work deep into games. I think the Cardinals are another team that really needs to be aggressively looking for some starting pitching. And I don't know if the Cardinals will deal within the division for Castillo, but I think Montas makes a lot of sense there. As a ground ball guy with a really good defensive third baseman and Nolan Arenado, pretty good defensive team as a whole. The Cardinals are a good fit for Montas. So that would be my kind of projection. I think maybe Castillo to the Twins, Montas to the Cardinals, I don't think any team would, would turn down getting an arm of that caliber with either one of those guys, but I think those are probably the two best fits. No doubt. At least from the bullpen's perspective, I'd have to think, even though Lou Trevino, the, the numbers have, just the raw numbers have been very bad, ERA over six this year. Guys saved 30 games combined over the past two seasons. He has a 470 batting average on balls in play. One of the more unlucky pitchers in all of baseball. I'd have, and I've always liked him as a back-end reliever. I'd have to think he's got to find a place somewhere, wouldn't you think, Adam, in, in one of these teams? Uh, somewhere as maybe a seventh-inning guy of one of these bullpens of a contender could actually use? Yeah, I think so, especially because a guy like Trevino, he's actually a Super 2 guy, so there's two more years of arbitration eligibility after this season. So a team's going to look at his upside and say, okay, he's not pitching well, but we can fix him. You know, there's something that we can fix here. Maybe it's just, you know, being shuffled around on a bad team in that bad A's bullpen, stuff like that. But as I said, I mean, Ramon Laureano, that's a rental player, but I expect him to be moved. Uh, they're a team that, you know, they're, again, we talk about the situation with the, that the Reds are in. 
the A's are not going to be better than any of the four teams in their division anytime soon. So if they can get a high return on anybody at the MLB level, they might as well do it. A's who, if you're if you're handicapping, who's going to finish with the worst record in baseball this year? I think the A's have to be a, a pretty significant minus money favorite at this point. Thirty five and sixty three, three fifty seven winning percentage uh, this year. There's a couple other names I want to throw at you, Adam, when we return here because Shohei Otani, his name has started to get thrown around in some of the trade buzz, which is just fascinating considering he is your prohibitive AL MVP favorite right now. The first two-way player we have truly seen at the major league level since Babe Ruth. And could he could he possibly be on the move? We'll get Adam's thoughts on that next. Plus a big update in New York. The Haas strikes for San Diego. Big double to open the scoring for the Padres. We'll update the live line on that game. And the panic on the Mets. It's been a brutal hitting week offensively all weekend for New York. We'll discuss all those things on the other side here on the run line. Found Visa's Premier Baseball Betting Show. This is the run line. How about Eric Hosmer with a big RBI double, making it a one-nothing lead for the San Diego Padres? As we welcome you back, updating Sunday Night Baseball here on the run line. But as someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking. Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Joe Musgrove. Right as we were about to say, Adam Burke, time to panic on this Mets offense. Two runs through this entire series, at least through their first, if you look at it, 23 innings at the plate, and now all of a sudden, Starling Marte, base hit, Francisco Lindor double, and they're in business here. Second and third, nobody out, bottom of the sixth, down one nothing. a position where if the Mets lose, they're only a half game ahead of Atlanta in the NLE standings right now, and especially two for New York facing a big Subway series this week against the Yankees uh, on their home turf, but uh, how about Lindor, who's, it's funny, for as much of the potential negative regression as you've talked about, Adam, the Mets offense coming back to earth, Lindor's the one guy who you actually, if you look at the numbers, you kind of expect him to be better in the second half based on a lot of the hard contact rates in the BAPIP for him this year. Yeah, you know, Lindor's a guy that I think people really generally overvalue his offensive profile, having seen him for a long time in Cleveland. He had some years where he was really, really good. Had the th- I think it was a 34-homer season for Cleveland. Uh, he had a little bit of pop, but you know, he's a guy that's just, he's a high floor player because he's a great defensive player, a smart base runner, but the offense is typically about, you know, 15 or so percent above league average, not to be smirched that. I mean, that's great, but I think people kind of overvalue his offensive profile. But one thing I want to mention real quick here, as this game is going along, Joe Musgrove's spin rates seem to be declining. So Mm. I'm following along with this on baseball savant via the stat cast data. And Musgrove is down across the board, except for his sinker. He's only thrown three of those. Uh, in terms of spin rate, 
and they've been getting progressively lower in the middle innings here. So I don't know if he's tiring. I don't know if he's pitching through something. Velocity still looks okay, uh, but the spin rates are down compared to league average, and it seems like he's kind of wearing down for one reason or another here in the middle innings. He's only at, I mean, 78 pitches right now, but yeah, leaving him in for now, again, as we talked about, it, it, it's hard to really quantify, too, what you're going to get out of a lot of these pitchers in their first starts out of the break. We discussed it with Carlos Carrasco. Pretty significant velocity drop today with the fastball down a solid a mile an hour across the board, whereas Musgrove was basically untouchable for the first five innings, and now all of a sudden, as you talk about, Adam, this is, uh, what, third time through the order here. It's, it's started to uh, get, get a little sticky. Now fans on their feet, second and third, nobody out. Pete Alonzo at the plate as well, uh, there for the Mets. And, and yes, I, I get what you're saying on Lindor as well. Um, at, the, at the same time, I mean, hard hit percentage in the 40% range, barrel percentage around 9%, but yes, is, there a, is the ceiling there more all-encompassing because of the defense? Would totally say so. And a guy who's WRC plus, you know, right, right around one four, eh, one fourteen right now uh, for Lindor. But yeah, when you're like when you're the shortstop for the Mets and they spent what they spent to get him after the great years he put up in Cleveland, you can understand right why a guy like that would then tend to be overvalued. Even though, like for the num in the numbers community, what you're looking at those those things haven't really changed year over year. If you really break it down from you know, from Cleveland, especially into the last season when things did start to tail off a little bit in that 2020 campaign. Uh oh, Alonzo, by the way, Adam. That ball is gone. Three run homer, Pete Alonzo. Yeah. I don't know if you I don't know if you're able to get a live bet in while you were watching the Joe Musgrove velocity or spin rates all of a sudden uh, just drop out of the sky, but three run bomb. Oh, just I, like that. Wow. Uh well, January first will be the day that betting starts in the state of Ohio. And oh, in fact, true. I was downtown today catching up with a friend and I saw that uh, they're going to put a Caesar sports book in the basketball arena where the Cavaliers play, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. So there'll be a Caesar Sportsbook now. Uh, you know when I when I come back in future years. Okay, look at you being uh, being an honest man, re re realizing you're unable to make a live wager right now. I get it, Adam. Way to be, way to be honest. Three, wow, but a three run homer for uh, for Pete Alonso. Three one. I'm seeing what that has done to the live number. Mets now uh, pretty pretty giant in game favorites. I'm seeing them up to minus eleven hundred plus six fifty on the Padres. Six and a half now your live total. Juiced under minus 125. Remember, that game closed eight with a lot of juice under there. So, yeah, maybe sweat time. If you had, if you had an under, as we're about to get into both, both bullpens, I would think. 22 now. Go ahead, RBI as well, uh, Adam. For Pete Alonzo, that leads all of Major League Baseball. So, you talk about how timely hitting can be difficult to quantify as well, and it's something that can have ebbs and flows within a particular season. For whatever reason, though, Alonzo has been able to come up with the clutch hit time and again, and he does it once, uh, once more here in this one tonight. A big blow, and, you know, look, I mean, these are games that the Mets need to win. You know, when, when you get, and Carrasco wasn't super sharp, but, I mean, gave you five innings and no runs. I mean, you know, the, again, the offensive profile for this Mets team is relatively low based on their contact quality, but you can't be squandering games when you give up one, two, three runs, something like that. So to get a big blow here in the sixth, to set it up now to the point where you can use Edwin Diaz for, you know, at least three of the remaining nine outs that the Padres have, uh, it's a very timely blast, to say the least. Timely indeed there for, uh, for one Pete Alonzo. As far as some of these other, there are a couple other trade deadline candidates I want to throw out there, Adam. We're going to move on to our real or fake segment up next, and then we'll have our full MLB Monday card to break down before we get out of here and wrap up the show tonight. But for a couple other names I want to throw out at you, let's start with Shohei Otani, who I'm sure people will hear that name and just say, all right, there's no way. Like, come on. This guy is the best, most valuable player in baseball and will be as long as he is healthy and active and both being be serving as both a hitter and a pitcher. 
But we have seen that the Angels, like they're they are fielding calls from teams. It sounds like they are they are essentially going to stand pat here. They are going to at least you know they are going to wait and figure things out at the end of the year. Uh, what say you though on what the Angels should do with Otani? I don't think this is really going to become a story as far as them actually moving him. Would be a stunner to actually see that happen in the next eight nine days. But where do you stand on what the Angels' long term philosophy should actually be? A team that sits sixteen games under five hundred, not even close to competing there in the American League. Well, I mean, I think the Angels are handling this in a very smart way. You keep saying publicly that you're not going to trade him, but you continue to field calls as if, you know, if you get blown away by an offer, you will move him. Now, look, Otani is arbitration eligible for the third time next year. So he signed a two-year extension. That took away his first two years of ARB. Now he's got one more year of team control. So he's not an impending free agent. He will be playing under contract next year for the Angels if they keep him. Now, Look, they're not going to be better than the Astros next year, and they're not going to be better than the Mariners next year unless something dramatically changes. So for me, I move Otani. And, you know, I look, I don't have to answer to ownership. I don't have to answer to fans. I don't have to answer to season ticket holders. So it's easy for me to sit here and say this. But this is a pathetic farm system, and it's been a pathetic farm system for a long time. They're very lucky they got a generational talent in Mike Trout because who knows where this team would have been otherwise. The idea of trading away Otani in a year where he'll help you win 75 games next season, probably, if that, the idea of trading him away to get talent into your system should be very attractive to Perry Manasian. I don't think it happens, but I would be listening to every single offer, trying to maximize every offer that comes across my desk. And if I can fleece somebody for Otani, mm -hmm. I'm pulling the trigger. I'm doing it. And it, just the fact that we're having this conversation alone, though, does that not tell you everything about what is wrong with the Angels as an organization? The fact that they've allowed it to get to, to this point, not, and not even that it's at this point, Adam, but that it's gotten to this point so early that it's, you know, it's an all-star or it's a trade deadline conversation in the year 2022. And as you pointed out, you would have, I mean, even, even the most cynical Angels fan, I'm sure, would have thought, well, at the very least, we won't have to have this conversation until probably this time next year when he is playing for a contract and goes toward that arbitration date. That to me is the most kind of stunning thing of all this, that they've, they've, ma they've mangled things so poorly. And despite getting really a brilliant pitching performance from him all season as well with a sub three ERA and a guy who's really found some new life as a pitcher where I, I think he's probably even more valuable this year than he was last year because of the improvements pitching wise. That to me is the bigger story here that the angels as a franchise have found themselves in a position where here we sit on July 24th of a 2022 season and are already now having this conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You know, but also you look at Otani and, and you look at how dejected and just frustrated Mike Trout is on a daily basis. And you sit there and you go, well, Otani's not signing here. Like, he's not sticking around. And, you know, I mean, do you allocate him? Mean, you already allocated over $400 million to Mike Trout. Do you allocate a number in the similar range to Shohei Otani? Probably not, because they've come to find out that having a couple of mega contracts and trying to plug holes with a bunch of scrubs doesn't really work. So I think it'll be mutual for both sides to kind of go in their separate directions here. So if you're the Angels, why not trade him? Yeah, I mean, I get it. you have to inject some kind of talent into that prospect pool because it's been so long since you've had any. Yep. I'll throw out one name at you real quick as well here, Adam. Andrew Benintendi sounds like the Yankees have moved in. They they are likely now at least front runners to get him, the all-star there for Kansas City, former Boston Red Sox. Do you think that ends up getting done, even though we saw, we've seen a couple teams come out and say they would, would not want to trade for him or 
other members of those Royals because they weren't vaxxed with all the, the games still to come there north of the border in Toronto where they would be ineligible. Yeah, that's certainly a tough thing for, for, the, for the Yankees. And especially, you know, look, I mean, there's a very realistic possibility that the Blue Jays win their wild card series and you have to play a seven-game playoff in Toronto. And you wouldn't have Benintendi for three of those seven games if it went that far. So to me, I feel like Benintendi would be a smarter and easier fit in the National League. But, you know, if the Yankees want him, you know, I mean, maybe it's something that, that they're not too worried about. Look, it's uh, it's a situation where the Yankees, they say we want him and they're now the front runner. So, like, yeah, you say, I guess they're going to get him. But that's an interesting case because we've seen other teams in the AL East say, yeah, like we're just crossing him off our list right away because of how important those series with Toronto will be. I don't know. Remains to be seen. Very interesting next uh, week and a couple of days until August 2nd. That's a trade deadline coming up. But up next, we'll talk real or fake. Two very curious pitcher names Adam has cooked up for us on this week's edition. We'll discuss those two guys next, right here on The Run Line. You Visa's premier baseball betting show. This is The Run Line. Ice cold beers, cold hard cash. Join the action on the pitch with the Heineken 2022 Soccer Prediction Challenge. Compete in 20 free-to-play pools this season for your shot at a share of $100,000 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Heineken now to start your run at victory. Heineken beer made better. 21 and over only. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Drink responsibly. It is the final half hour of The Run Line from VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. I'm Ben Wilson back at our Circus Sportsbook Studios in Las Vegas. Adam Burke joins us from Cleveland, Ohio, where we get into one of our favorite segments we like to discuss every single week, Adam. It's real or fake. Couple of intriguing names you've got on the list this week. Let's start with the guy on the West Coast, Cole Irvin of the Oakland A's. We just had the conversation of which A's could potentially be on the move. Irvin is not one of those guys that came up. Now let's let's do the uh, the deep dive though here. What have you noticed on the numbers behind the lefty there by the bay in Oakland with Cole Irvin? Yeah, so Cole Irvin. I mean, last year in in thirty two starts, covering one hundred and seventy eight innings, and you don't see that kind of durability much in Major League Baseball anymore. Four twenty four ERA, four ninety two expected ERA, four thirty FIP. This season, three oh eight ERA with a four fifty expected ERA, three seventy nine FIP, and one hundred and two and a third innings over seventeen starts. And when you dig deeper into Cole Irvin, what you see is that he's been outstanding at home and not outstanding on the road. But he's been so good at home that his full season numbers that I talked about, 308 ERA, 379 FIP, those are excellent numbers. But this is a guy that really pitches to that ballpark. Oakland Coliseum is, as the name implies, a very closed-in stadium. The ball does not carry at all. A lot of teams just don't really like playing there. Nobody feels all that comfortable there. You know, the locker rooms aren't great and, and so on and so forth. So teams tend to go to Oakland and struggle. And Oakland starting pitchers definitely do much better at home between the conditions and just sort of, you know, a certain level of confidence because they know that they can give up hard contact and it's not really going anywhere. So for Cole Irvin, it's it's very simple. And, and this is hard to do because the A's are such a big dog in just about every game that they play. But if you want to bet on Cole Irvin, you do it at home and you don't do it on the road. So you look for maybe overs, team total overs, uh, the A's are actually pretty good against lefties on the road. So maybe you look for an over and Irvin starts there. But this is exclusively because he's been so good at home. And it's hard to see a reason that that doesn't continue because it's just a great pitcher's park. And you look at what the A's have in front of them this week. Irvin looks like he will take the ball at home against Houston on Wednesday. So that, that presents a very interesting dynamic where you have 
very good lineup hitting team in Houston. But again, he does get the home park factors. You th- you wonder too. It, it's wild how you see some. This sometimes happens just kind of by randomness where the pitcher starts his career at a, in a total bandbox like Philadelphia, which Irvin did. If you look at the 2019-20 seasons, he only threw about right in the 45 innings range, but and only made three starts. So they used him mostly as a reliever coming in. But an ERA of over six in that time in Philadelphia ends up going to Oakland last year, and, and you laid out all the numbers there. It's, it, it's one of those things where everything you bring up, it's almost furthered by the fact, and I know the pitchers, especially when they're young and are pretty pliable as far as their overall mechanics and their, sort of, and their pitch selection in general and the arsenal that they bring, I get that those can all change very rapidly, and you can see pitchers change very dynamically over a year or two. But when you look at the way Irvin stru- struggled so much out of the gates in a place like Philadelphia, which is a, a tough place to get your feet wet as a major league pitcher, it kind of makes sense, right, that this, is, that this has been the thing happening to him. And is, is that, I would imagine, a reason why when you look at some of these trade targets for Oakland, I, would, I don't know, how, how high are other teams on Irvin actually who are going to be contenders who would really want to look at him? I'm just not sure that there's going to be all that much interest in the market, even though the numbers are certainly at least average to above average from what we've seen with him so far. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't think so. I mean, look, you know, this is a guy at home. He's allowing a 219 weighted on base average and on the road, a 350 weighted on base average. So essentially, when he's pitching at home, everybody's Leary Garcia from the White Sox. But when he's pitching on the road, everybody's Kyle Tucker from the Astros in terms of comparing the weighted on base averages to an individual player's numbers from this season. 163 ERA at home, 479 ERA on the road. And these are things that teams have to weigh with extreme pitchers, parks, uh, you know, guys that play at Coors Field, maybe starters in the NL West that have had bad starts at Coors but have been good everywhere else. These are all things that they're obviously looking for and, and trying to understand and ascertain. But, you know, for Cole Irvin, you talk about facing Houston. I mean, look, Houston's a great lineup. This could be a spot where he kind of gets knocked around a little bit. But he's allowed 11 home runs this year, all of them on the road in 47 innings, 55 and a third at home, no home runs, and only seven extra base hits total. So he's just been Man. really, really good at home, and, and maybe he's a live dog here against Houston this week. That'll be a very interesting series to watch, especially if Houston wins the the first game of that series and comes in. Let's see, that is looks like Wednesday when he lines up. So if, let's say they win the first two games of the series and you would all of a sudden have Houston riding a seven-game winning streak fresh out of the All-Star break, that would end up being a really, really interesting line there in that Wednesday start for Irvin. I want to get a quick update in as well for Sunday Night Baseball because this will lead into the second pitcher and real or fake we will discuss, Adam. That's the New York Mets who end up getting a five spot there in the bottom of the six. Luis Guillorme with a, an RBI single after Daniel Vogelbach had gotten on right after the Pete Alonso three-run jack, and then Tomas Nito with an RBI double as well. So this all of a sudden has gotten a little dicey if you had the full game under. Eight juiced to under about minus 115, 120. Six runs alone just in the sixth inning. 5-1 there, Mets going to the seventh year against the Padres. Both teams now into the bullpens. Looks like it'll be Seth Lugo coming on here for the New York Mets. But one of those pitchers you're going to be looking at on Real or Fake is Taiwan Walker, the man who will start the Mets' next outing. That will be Tuesday at home against the New York Yankees. What are you looking at with Walker here as we assess his value on this uh, whole idea of Real or Fake? Well, I guess, first of all, we could put the final nail in the coffin of the Joe Musgrove 25 oh, yeah, to 1 clearly. Cy Young ticket that I have. That was that was <laughs> on life support to begin with, uh, but you know, not a good look. Oh, and again, those spin rates declining throughout the game. Uh, definitely not a good look for him. So Taiwan Walker this season is really interesting. In 16 starts over 91 and two-thirds, 255 ERA, 360 expected ERA, 297 FIP. 
The left on base percentage is a little bit high. It's up around 78% for a guy that has a well below average strikeout percentage. But the most intriguing thing for Taiwan Walker this season, 2020, albeit only in 11 starts, 53 and a third, a 13.1% home run to fly ball percentage. In 2021, over 159 innings, a 14.3% home run per fly ball percentage. In 2022, in his 16 starts, 5.1%. So Taiwan Walker, he's got almost a 50% ground ball rate this year. He's only given up, what is that, two or three home runs, or four home runs in 91 and two-thirds. Just keeping the ball in the park, keeping the ball on the ground, and it's really made a significant change to his numbers here. I initially looked at this and thought, okay, this is probably not sustainable, low strikeout rate, high left on base percentage, so on and so forth. But the guys made some clear changes to keep the ball on the ground, stay off the barrel a little bit more. And those are really important things for pitchers. Barrel rates down 3.3% from where it was the previous year. There's some degree of sustainability to this. I don't think he's this good, but I think that he can continue to be an above average starting pitcher. And this is the first time since 2018, Adam. He's had a hard hit percentage on the bat. If you look at the batted ball numbers, below 30%, down in the 28, 29% range. At the same time, it's funny how we've seen this as emerge. Not a, I don't know how much of a trend this really is, but we've seen select pitchers, Adam, have this happen this year where you're seeing them give up a lot a lot fewer cases of barreled balls or hard-hit balls, and you're seeing those numbers really improve while at the same time reducing the strikeouts where Tywin Walker, he's striking out a career-low a career low number amount of guys, only a shade over seven strikeouts per nine this year. Have you have you found, as you've looked into a number of these guys, he's because he's not he's not the only one who's doing this, is there a correlation to be had here of guys who are maybe getting away from relying so much on the strikeout and just trying to more pound the zone, get the weak contact, and and live in that regard where, as you mentioned, it's a near, nearly 50% ground ball rate. If you're doing that and you're limiting hard contact, naturally you don't necessarily need the strikeouts to pump yourself up in your numbers as a result. Well, this is kind of a corollary to signing a guy like Francisco Lindor, you know, because he's such an elite defensive shortstop that as a starting pitcher, you look at things and you say, you know what, I don't have to strike everybody out. I can give up balls in play, but I'm going to keep them on the ground. And so for Taiwan Walker, yeah, the strikeout percentage is down 2.2% from last year, but the walk rate's also down a percent and a half. So he's just pitching to contact. He's pitching to more ground ball contact, and that's a recipe for success with this Mets team. So, you know, if you're a guy in the Giants, for example, you know, if I'm Logan Webb, I'm sitting there going, man, I got to strike out like seven or eight guys a night because my defense isn't going to help me at all. You know, or if I'm a guy for the Cardinals, I go, man, I got Nolan Arenado at third base. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to strike everybody out. I don't need a 25% K percentage. I can let him hit it and play. So it's just kind of, you know, it's sort of dependent on the defense that you have. Now, with that being said, and this will open up a brand new discussion for us to talk about later on in the, in the, sh in the uh, season here, if the shift goes away, or at least the reported changes to the shift, all of a sudden, this becomes dicier because Taiwan Walker's hard hit percentage is over 40% for the first time since 2018, but it's all on the ground, which is fine when guys can shift. When guys can't shift, then hard contact on the ground becomes more detrimental. So that's what will be really interesting to sort of isolate for future seasons are these guys that are allowing harder contact, pitching to more contact, but it's on the ground. Adam Bergaldi looking ahead to 2023. Just eh, classic. Right, we talked about this with, with Otani. He's he's already got one foot at you know one foot ahead. I mean it's really more like you know a fourth arm ahead, Adam, because you're you're doing so many things at once. But that's a good point. I'll I'll mark that down as something we'll circle back to at some point. Maybe I don't know. Maybe not like next week. 
<laughs> but we start getting toward the end of the year. That's a really interesting topic to discuss. As far as the immediate, we got to break down tomorrow's card. We're going to do that next as we wrap up the show. Monday, Major League Baseball card next. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. After six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. You found Visa's premier baseball betting show. This is The Run Line. The VEASAN College Football Guide is out now, and the Pro Football Guide is coming soon. There's no better way to prepare for the college and pro football seasons. Our experts provide profiles of every team with advanced stats and power ratings, plus best bets on season win totals, division finishes, and player awards. Reserve your copy of the Football Betting Guides today and get access to everything we offer for the entire football season with a VEASAN All-Access subscription. Make this football season your best ever. Subscribe now at VEASAN.com. Slash subscribe. Last segment for us here on the run line. We've got Greg Peterson and the look ahead coming up right after this. Big thanks to Jason Kahn, our producer behind the glass, Andrew Ingold, technical director, everybody else helping out behind the scenes. Uh, for now, though, Adam, let's take a look at the Monday Major League Baseball card, at least for the two teams here playing in Sunday Night Baseball. Mets are off tomorrow before two games set against the Yankees. Padres do have an interesting spot, at least, where they go to Detroit. But as far as the whole trying to fade a team coming off Sunday Night Baseball. It's not exactly the most palatable option with Sean Manaya, who is the strong lefty going for San Diego. I'm seeing overnight about a $1.55 to $1.60 favorite on the road in Detroit. I'm not sure if that's one of those scenarios you'd be looking at or if it's just a, just a, going to be a pass for you there to start the Monday card. No, that's not a uh, not a very attractive looking game. Unless the Padres are able to come back in this one and, and maybe force extra innings, something like that. They're probably halfway to the to the tarmac for their flight at this point. Basically, Drew, uh, Drew Hutchinson goes there for the uh, for the Tigers tomorrow. Probably, at least to me, the most intriguing pitching matchup is that series in Philadelphia where we saw the Phils get swept by the Cubs this weekend. Braves take two of three in their series against the Angels. You get Max Freed and Ranger Suarez. A couple of lefties battle it out. Freed has been excellent all year. Five quality starts in his last six outings. His first appearance, though, since July the 16th. So as we were talking about earlier, for most of these guys, now on seven, maybe eight days of rest here. Freed and the, and the Atlanta Braves, about a $1.60 to 65 favorite on the road against Ranger Suarez and the Phils. Now, what do you expect in a, in a matchup like this? Seeing eights juiced over or eight and a half juiced under is our overnight total. Yeah, you know, I would say as a general rule, when you're looking at guys coming off of these extended layoffs, and this one's really not that bad. It's almost like a rain out and off day type thing. Um, when I'm looking for those types of guys, I'm looking for guys that have control issues. You know, a guy like Dylan Cease, for example, who will walk some guys, wasn't terribly sharp, wasn't terribly efficient today. Shane Bieber doesn't really walk anybody. He just didn't have any command. But you know, when I look for those guys coming off the layoff that kind of concern me, 
it'd be more of a Ranger Suarez in this game than it would be a Max Freed because Suarez is a guy that, you know, just throughout the course of the season, not super efficient, goes four or five innings, faces a Braves team that's making a ton of hard contact here. Wouldn't really have any concerns about Freed, and apparently the market doesn't either with this line kind of jumping up 10 to 15 cents already, and I don't think it's done moving. I get it, and both of these, both of those pitchers each pitched on July the 16th, so equal amount of rest for them of over a week coming into this start. How about a, another matchup? We actually have three different matchups tomorrow, Adam. All of lefties on the mound. T- uh, Taylor Rogers goes into Cincinnati for the Miami Marlins. Nick Lodolo, the uh, the young lefty there for Cincinnati, and I'm seeing the Reds overnight. They're about a dollar eighteen to dollar twenty favorite right now. Uh, pretty impressive when you look at it that way that the Reds are starting to get a little more market respect. And uh, Trevor Rogers, the numbers have not been very good. I'm sure that's part of it, right? 546 ERA. Any any belief that things will magically turn around this time for Rogers now going into a bandbox there in Cincinnati? I think something that's really strange about Trevor Rogers and the numbers so far this year, and as you said, he hasn't been really good. Generally speaking, Marlins starters are really good in Miami. Trevor Rogers this year has a 708 ERA and 40 and two thirds down at Lone Depot Park, 395 ERA on the road. He's got a 394 weighted on base average against at home, 310 on the road. But with that being said, his control numbers are awful away from home. 32 strikeouts against 24 walks. You cannot walk people when you're pitching in a great offensive park like that. It's the biggest thing that's a problem at Coors. You know, balls are going to find holes. Balls are going to find patches of grass in a ballpark like that. It's a spacious outfield to cover. You can't walk, guys. It's the same thing in Cincinnati. You cannot walk people. And when you look at this game here, Rodgers has the walk issues on the road. And also the Marlins have been one of, or at least bottom five, in terms of worst offenses against left-handed pitching throughout the course of the season. And they get one here in Nick Lodolo, who's been a lot more efficient, you know, ironed some things out in the minor leagues. I actually said to you during the break, do I have to actually take the Reds tomorrow? And I think the fact that the Reds are favored and that this line's moving in their direction a little bit, I think it's a pretty telling line moving, a pretty telling indicator. Yeah, seeing it already up to $1.25 at DraftKings, you can still, as I was saying, find them in around the minus 118 to 120 range in the market. Totals, I'm seeing either nines juiced a little over or nine and a halfs already with, with some of those early movements there juiced to the under. Interesting series as well in Boston where the Guardians, who, again, as we talked about earlier, I don't know if it's, if it's fair to say a disappointing split, but when you win the first two of a four-game set, certainly had their chances to win that series in Chicago. They split it. At least it wasn't what happened to Boston, who get outscored 40-10 to 10 over the three-game series sweep, the loss at home there to Toronto. You get Zach Plesak going for the Guardians, Nick Pavetta for Boston. Pretty much a pick I'm seeing in most markets. Adam, is there a side you lean here? Well, it's quite a bit of respect for Zach Plesak, I think, because that's a guy that you know got off to a really bad start. He's pitched better over his last few outings. Also, keep in mind, Boston doesn't have Rafael Devers. I mean, they're missing an MVP caliber type player in that lineup, so that's a big issue for them. Nick Pavetta's last three starts, he's given up 20 runs, but he's faced the Rays and the Yankees twice, and those are two teams that see him a lot. His hard hit percentage this year is over 47%, but again, he's faced the Yankees quite a bit. He's faced Toronto, uh, what, three or four times so far this year. He's faced the Yankees three times. The Guardians don't make a lot of contact quality. They just don't. Their hard hit rate's been low all year long. they got a low barrel rate as well. This may be a spot where Pavetta can pitch a little bit better. The concern that I have is Boston without Devers in the lineup. But at this point, with this game being kind of a money line pick toss-up type of game, I do lean towards Boston in this one just because, 
look, when you get rocked by the Yankees, that's one thing. But the Guardians lineup is not the New York Yankees lineup. And we saw this earlier from Pavetta. It was actually a month ago to the day. Went to Cleveland, scattered. Like, he gave up some hits, but nine hits in seven innings, only allowed two runs, though, and was really efficient in general in, in that start. So did not walk a single batter in that game. Was pretty good with the command there. And, it, yeah, as you say, it, that's really a, in a pick em range. You can find minus 105s out there pretty evenly in the market, as high as minus 115 on Boston in some other spots there. Total of nine, either juiced over or nine and a half at this point, uh, juiced to the under. Any any spots outside you know of the else, ones? Uh, yeah. we, we talked about this last week on the show where the Red Sox have not won a single series against an AL East opponent so far this season. So they're just not matching up well within that division, but they're still in the playoff picture because of what they've done outside of the division. So they're going outside the division, taking on a Guardians team that – I'm not super high on, so I may end up on Boston here. Boston three back for that final wild card spot. Guardians two back entering play tomorrow there uh, with the Seattle Mariners right now occupying that third and final spot after they were swept at, at the hands of Houston at home this weekend. Was just going to ask Adam any other games beside the ones we mentioned so far. You want to want to want to get some early thoughts out on that catch your eye here on the overnight window. Well, let me kick this back at you because your team made an interesting move here today with a starter who's on the mound tomorrow night in Aaron Ashby. So yeah. the Milwaukee Brewers signed Aaron Ashby to a long-term deal, a five-year deal for a guy that's been, you know, he's had flashes certainly at the MLB level. He's also had some bad flashes as well. What do you think about him? And what do you think about, you know, maybe the, the potential pressures of, you know, signing this deal and then starting the next day? That so it's a very interesting angle. I mean, technically Saturday was was uh, was the signing date. Five years, twenty and a half million, and look, they'll have uh, club options here for twenty eight and twenty nine. I look, and I've had so much respect for David Stearns as a GM. The 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 way they have embraced analytics and it has paid off, given that they are a smaller market, smaller payroll franchise in general. I I do like the signing in general. It's the you know the timing is a little bit odd. I will say, just because he he's he's really struggled with command this year, but. Ashby is a classic guy to me, Adam. And it almost, and I'm not not suggesting that he's going to become the next Corbin Burns, but what we're seeing in his early his early career struggles, they really do mirror a lot what we're seeing with Burns. I mean, a guy who just cannot command the zone. His stuff moves so so violently a lot of times that like he'll start a pitch right down the middle that ends up six inches inside, and it almost seems like his stuff is so good he hasn't really figured out how to control it yet. So Ashby is a guy I really do like long term. I I have no issues with the contract. You know, I, I think it's a little bit overblown. Oh, you sign a contract, all of a sudden you're, you're starting, you're, you're naturally going to feel nerves. Because the reality is he really hasn't pitched that well all season. A lot of good metrics that are of a positive regression mindset for Ashby, 457 ERA, the expected ERA, XFIP, both below 350. But when you walk over four batters per nine, and you, know, you have a batting average on balls in play there of, of 339 as well, that, that's kind of how you end up with some of those uh, gaps and discrepancies. I like him long-term, but... It, the command has got to be fixed. And I think they're, they've made the investment, though. They're w- willing to see it through. I'm not sure I'd lay the dollar. I'm seeing, what, dollar $1.88, overnight? That's a little rich for me to lay there against Kyle Freeland on the mound. Uh, look, that, that's probably one of those matchups I want no part of. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, the Rockies, you know, on the road, they're just not good, just scoring barely over three runs per game. Yeah. But they have been good against lefties, so we'll see what they do here. But I agree with everything you said. I think the Ashby gamble is a good one because you may get a lot of equity on that contract going forward. I would tend to agree. I hope it works out. So, anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Adam, this has been a blast as always. Thank you for uh, being a good sport doing this from Cleveland. We'll see you back. You're going to be in studio with Jeff Parles next week, so we can't wait for that. For Adam Burke, 
I'm Ben Wilson. Thanks to our producer as well, Jason Kahn, behind the glass as we say so long on this edition of The Run Line. Up next, it's The Look Ahead here with Greg Peterson on VSIM, the Sports Betting Network. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you.